Welcome to Talkless Water, the podcast that takes a deep dive into the world of water with those making waves. My name is Todd Botler, and I'm your host for Talkless Water. I'm also the editor-in-chief of Texas Plus Water and the Texas Water Journal. You can sign up for Texas Plus Water by visiting texasplusWater.org, and you can sign up for the Texas Water Journal at texaswaterjournal.org. Both publications are free. My guest today is Mitch Tobin. Mitch is the director of the Water Desk at the University of Colorado in Boulder. Mitch, welcome and thank you for being part of Topless Water. Thanks for having me on the show, Todd. I'm excited to chat with you. Well, let's start out with your background in water. Can you tell us how you first became involved with water? Sure. My uh, path to working on water issues is somewhat uh, roundabout. Uh, I grew up back east um, on Long Island um, around a lot of water and um, kind of took it for granted um, and went to college in Connecticut and then worked in Washington, D.C. And um, I did, though, in my mid-20s, have a couple of formative experiences that brought me to uh, become much more interested in water issues. One is that I went uh, to Ecuador and taught English there as a volunteer teacher. And uh, while I was there, got really sick. Uh, probably the worst thing I had was amoebic dysentery, but had a number of waterborne illnesses. And I think that experience being in a developing country where uh, safe uh, water is not guaranteed and is um, uncommon in a lot of places really opened my eyes. Um, from there, I went and uh, lived in Tucson, Arizona uh, for a year. And so I was in the Sonoran Desert uh, in an area without very much water. And so being in that very arid, uh, dry environment, I think made me also appreciate uh, the quantity of water, not to mention you know the quality issues that I had been dealing with in Ecuador. And uh, in Tucson, I uh, was a canvasser for the Arizona League of Conservation Voters so I was working on environmental issues and so uh, started to get uh, very interested in water, which is obviously a huge issue there. And uh, I then went off to graduate school thinking I was going to become a political scientist and was interested in water and environmental policy, uh, but then decided to become a journalist instead and left with my master's. And uh, my first job was working at the Napa Valley Register, the daily newspaper there in the wine country. And my very first uh, story for the paper was on a proposal to increase uh, the monthly sewer uh, bill that people were paying. And that landed me on the front page. And I guess I've been, um, you know, writing about water ever since. I, I then went on um, to uh, work in Tucson at a couple of newspapers there, the Tucson Citizen and Arizona Daily Star. And uh, at the Citizen, I was covering City Hall. And that had a very strong connection to water issues because uh, Tucson Water is a city-owned utility. And so I was writing a lot about water in connection with that, then moved over to the Arizona Daily Star and was their water slash environment reporter. And so was very frequently covering a variety of water issues as well as uh, other things on the environment beat. And um, from there, you know, as the newspaper industry started to implode, um, I left uh, newspapers and became a consultant and was working with foundations. And then a lot of my 
consulting work involved evaluating grants for foundations related to Western Water and the Colorado River. Uh, and that eventually led uh, to my work with a number of foundations that helped launch the Water Desk, uh, where I'm now director at the University of Colorado. So um, I think those formative experiences in my 20s of really understanding how um, important both the quantity and the quality of water are um, really kind of shaped my uh, career path. So you were a, a journalist covering water issues, among other things, and uh, then you uh, went to Colorado and started the Water Desk. So, so tell us about the Water Desk. What is it? Sure. The Water Desk is an independent journalism initiative. We're based at something called the Center for Environmental Journalism at the University of Colorado in Boulder. And our mission is to increase uh, the volume, the depth, and the impact of water-related journalism. And we uh, focus on the Western United States, uh, in particular, the Colorado River Basin and the areas surrounding that. Um, And we uh, launched in uh, about 18 months ago with uh, support from a two-year grant from the Walton Family Foundation. And uh, we've since uh, received some other funding from another foundation. And uh, all of our work is basically dedicated to uh, improving water journalism, uh, both the quantity and the quality of it. And so we do that in a number of ways. We give out grants. That's a big part of what we do uh, to journalists and to media outlets to support their coverage of water issues. Uh, so we regrant uh, about 35, 40% of our budget uh both to individual journalists who are freelancers and to media outlets. And uh, that includes newspapers, online outlets, uh, radio stations, television, kind of the whole gamut of uh, media types. Uh, We also... Uh, at the university, work with students and help train the next generation of water journalists. So uh, we work with a number of classes and we have interns, uh, some of whom uh, produce content for us and our website. Um, On our website, we um, both republish content from a network of partners that are covering Western water issues and also produce some of our own original material. And we've tended to concentrate on things like uh, multimedia and data visualization. So we have an open source library that anybody can use uh, that has uh, photos and imagery of water-related locations. Uh, We we do a fair amount of aerial uh, photography, both with drones and in small airplanes and also make available um, interactive and embeddable maps on things like the drought, uh, precipitation, the snowpack, basically trying to provide a shared resource for the field, um, both for journalists and others, uh, so that they can better understand uh, water issues. Um, We also provide some funding to a nonprofit outlet here in Colorado called Aspen Journalism so that they can hire freelancers uh, to cover water issues. And then those stories are distributed uh, through a newspaper chain here in Colorado. So we Uh, pursue a variety of different strategies, but it's all meant to try to um, just bulk up the amount uh, and the impact of coverage related to Western water issues. So in in doing that, uh, are you more focused on getting uh, more journalists uh, who are focusing on water uh, regularly, or are you more focused on seeing a way for journalists who are covering a whole bunch of different things to to do more 
articles on water and, and have, you know, the requisite background. Uh, I would say it's a mixture of both. Um, we run a grant making program. We have two separate types of grants. One are up to $2,000 called micro grants. The other is up to $10,000 uh, are more standard grants. And you know, with our micro grants, we actually um, allow people to use them for things like professional development. And some people have, in fact, used it in order to learn more about water issues by attending conferences, uh, going through trainings, things like that. Um, some of those micro grants have also supported reporting expenses and uh, have enabled uh, content to be pr produced. Uh, with the bigger grants, we um, are supporting their um, significant journalistic efforts, uh, and that those tend to be projects, kind of um, rather than day to day coverage of water issues. And so, um, I would say we've done a mixture of kind of professional development, helping educate reporters who want to learn more about water and who may be new to the water beat, uh, plus directly supporting uh, journalists and media outlets uh, so that they can uh, pursue these reporting projects and, you know, they may be using the grants for travel expenses to acquire data. Um, there's a whole variety of, of ways that people have used the support. Um, and then, as I mentioned, we have this partnership with Aspen Journalism that tends to support more day-to-day -day beat coverage um, of water issues here in Colorado. And I think, um, you know, as a former newspaper reporter, I think both of them are important. I think the day-to-day -day coverage is really important for holding institutions and people in power accountable, uh, minding the store, if you will. Uh, but also, I think most journalists are eager to be able to step back from the day-to-day -day coverage and do a more in-depth, enterprising, investigative story on water issues. I know a number of uh, journalists in Texas who have focused on water and, uh, you know, some of them actually uh, had been in that program in, at Colorado during mm. a part of their career. And, uh, you know, it seems to me that, uh, you know, the number of journalists focused on water has, has varied quite a bit. And so I'm curious, uh, has, uh, I guess, there been a trend in the United States over time uh, in terms of water journalism or hydro journalism, uh, having a, maybe a focus at one point in our, our history as opposed to another? Well, I would say that uh, water journalism is uh, no different than other types of journalism in the sense that it has been under the same pressures uh, as other aspects of uh, of our field and our industry. So um, as your listeners are probably aware, there's been a dramatic reduction in the number of uh, newspapers and people in newsrooms uh, due to the digital disruption. And so, um, you know, I'm sort of a case in point in that um, I left uh, the newspaper industry in 2006 as things started to turn south. And, you know, the, there are estimates that there are roughly half the number of, uh, you know, people in newsrooms and newspapers that are covering issues, a variety of issues, not just water, than there were 10 or 15 years ago. So I think um, the traditional model of journalism in this country of using advertising to support uh, the reporting efforts uh, is basically broken, um, at least for large parts of the industry, and doesn't appear to be coming back anytime soon. So you've seen uh, you know, a number of media outlets 
go out of business. Uh, one of the newspapers I worked for, the Tucson Citizen, uh, went out of business in 2009. So that publication just does does not exist. The other newspaper I worked for in Tucson, the Arizona Daily Star, is still publishing, but you know is just a shadow of its former self. I used to work with a team of reporters, uh, lots of photographers, uh, focused on environmental issues, and now you know there's one person there who's covering everything related to the environment and uh, who's also had to face you know the economic pressures and furloughs and things like that. Um, so I would say, generally speaking, it's it's been pretty bleak for journalism in this country and elsewhere over the last 10 or 15 years, and water journalism has not been immune to that. And a lot of, especially newspaper reporters who were covering these issues day in and day out, like myself, um, lost their jobs um, in one way or the other. At the same time, I feel like the prominence of water issues and the importance of them has only increased. So there's sort of a paradox that at a time when um, water is becoming increasingly important and is increasingly in the news, especially related to things like climate change, uh, you have fewer and fewer people dedicated uh, to reporting on water issues. And they may be just trying to do it as part of a larger beat. They may be occasionally, you know, covering it, but not on a sustained basis. So that that issue is really in, in a lot of ways uh, why the water desk was created, because there has been that gap. And I think anybody who works on water issues, regardless of what perspective you're coming from, uh, would agree that it's important for the public and policymakers to understand what's happening as far as our water resources. Uh, That's what journalists are supposed to do to inform the public. And um, it's a big problem if there aren't people who are covering these meetings, doing investigations, and and trying to make sure that people understand what's at stake when it comes to their water resources. So I've noticed that in Texas, the water beat gets a lot of attention during significant droughts. And when you've got a, a you know, thumping good drought, there are lots and lots of articles on water and uh, the impacts of the drought. Uh, but it seems like when the, the drought's over, uh, that, you know, literally kind of evaporates the water coverage, uh, even though we often have a lot of water quality issues going on. They don't seem to get as much attention. Have you noticed any cyclical kind of, you know, interest in water journalism, especially, I guess, in the West during droughts? Yes, I think that's definitely true uh, in terms of the hydrologic cycle influencing the volume of coverage. Um, I think when there is a, a serious drought going on or perhaps, you know, a flood event at the other end of the spectrum, uh, that really focuses the public's attention on water issues. And, you know, I think you tend to see a lot more stories about uh, water issues when there are these uh, problems uh, or even a crisis when it comes to a, a drought. Um, you know, at the same time, I also think that on a political or policy level, uh, the amount of attention that politicians and policymakers pay to water is very much also dependent on the state of the the drought or the or if there's a, some other type of water crisis uh, contamination event. 
something like that. So I think there is definitely an ebb and flow of water uh, coverage uh, based on whether it's been, you know, abnormally dry or not. And, you know, I think why we've seen um, an increased amount of attention and concern about something like the Colorado River is that we've been in this period over the past 20 years when we've had a lot of really dry years and have been in this long-term drought uh, that's been you know so bad that a lot of people are talking about it being something more like aridification, really a permanent change in the climate of this part of the country. And so, um, you know, when I started out covering these issues in the late 1990s, uh, Lake Mead and Lake Powell were basically full. Um, and certainly there was, you know, concern that's sort of endemic about water issues in the West because it is an arid region, because we have this, you know, elaborate system of moving water around. Uh, but, you know, over the last 20 years, those reservoirs have been going down and down and down and people take note of that. And so, you know, I think um, there's a lot of competition uh, in terms of coverage for various issues. Uh, and so when, Certain issues tend to flare up uh, for water. It tends to be during droughts. Uh, they get more journalistic firepower directed towards them. And so, um, you know, that's understandable. I think it'll probably always be the case. But I think it's also important that even in uh, a non-drought period, when, you know, the water supply may not be immediately threatened, there are still very often some deep and very difficult and important issues, uh, whether it's long-term trends in terms of climate change affecting the water supply or chronic issues with water pollution and disadvantaged communities. So, um, you know, water is essential every day for people to, to drink and use, and that doesn't go away. Um, but I definitely do uh, agree that drought is when you tend to see the most attention by journalists and by others. So even though we have uh, fewer journalists who are covering water issues, um, it seems like, uh, you know, journalism now has had so many other tools, uh, social media tools, and uh, those, you know, being kind of combined with uh, the, the news article itself, allows the geographic footprint of, you know, water issue information to get out a lot far farther than it, it used to. And so I'm just kind of interested in what you, you know, think about, you know, the impact of social media on water journal journalism and, and uh, what uh, what's likely uh, in the future as well. I think that um, the rise of digital journalism uh, and the internet, it's, it's been both a blessing and a curse for journalists. Um, in some ways, more of a curse because we've seen uh, this dramatic contraction in the number of journalists and media outlets that are out there because of the loss of advertising revenue, because of people's unwillingness uh, to pay for news, uh, not to mention problems with disinformation and uh, things like that. Um, so I think there have been a lot of problems caused for journalism by the shift to digital platforms and technologies. At the same time, I think it's uh, really been a boon to the journalists who are still there uh, reporting on these issues because they can do things that they would have never imagined uh, 10, 20 years ago in terms of uh, researching things on the internet, using data visualizations uh, to crunch uh, numbers and, and make these you know, fascinating interactions 
interactives. Um, I began my journalism career sort of just when the internet seemed to be taking over and, and, you know, it was a lot different job back then. Um, and so I think, you know, the 24 hour news cycle, uh, and the rise of social media, has affected all sorts of journalism. And I don't think water journalism is immune to that. So I think there's, you know, this hunger for a constant stream of, of new information. Um, and, you know, if you're a journalist working in a small town and you do an important story, uh, people throughout the, the state or the country or even the world can learn about that in a way that they couldn't when uh, your content was only being printed on a piece of paper and tossed onto people's driveways. And so um, it's sort of the best of times and the worst of times in the sense that uh, with the shift to digital technologies, it's totally upended the journalist, uh, journalism business model, led to a lot of people losing their jobs and a lot of outlets going out of business. Uh, but you know, now journalists are able to do these really amazing things and and really produce content that's engaging. And uh, one of the things I do is fly a drone uh, to take uh, photos and videos of water-related locations. And certainly that's a new technology, uh, something that I, you know, didn't even think of uh, 15 years ago. Right, right. So, you know, you've mentioned a number of times uh, disruption in the newspaper industry. Uh, you know, now they're uh, there are a number of new water information, water, water news platforms, you know, Texas plus waters, one, uh, journalism platforms for water, like circle of blue, uh, that have, you know, emerged in recent years. You know, some of these efforts like, uh, water deeply haven't made it, uh, but others like circle of blue had have. So, I mean, are there any lessons that you can kind of draw from the successes of those platforms and, and the, frankly, you know, the failures of them as well. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's definitely a different landscape than it used to be. I mean, traditionally, I think you had a lot more newspapers and local media outlets that might have a reporter that's dedicated either in part or in full to covering water issues. And, in some ways, there's there's no substitute for that because water tends to be very localized. And so if your you know, neighborhood uh, water utility is contemplating a water rate increase uh, or there's some proposed infrastructure project, that may be very, very important to that local community, but may be completely irrelevant and uninteresting to people beyond that. And so... Um, I think there's been a real loss of the day-to-day beat coverage of people attending meetings, keeping their ear to the ground. Um, in in response to all of the the layoffs and and the newspapers going out of business and other media outlets and their problems, you have seen a rise uh, of nonprofit journalistic efforts throughout the country and covering a whole variety of different issues. And there have been a lot of pretty amazing success stories. Uh, We're a member of the Institute for Nonprofit News, uh, which is sort of a trade group, if you will, for uh, nonprofit entities uh, who are reporting and doing journalism. And and that that group has been growing by leaps and bounds. Just in the environmental uh, arena, you think of things like Inside Climate News and ProPublica. 
do amazing work and have won Pulitzer Prizes. And so I think we have seen in the last 10, 15 years, a lot of great efforts in water journalism, environmental journalism more broadly, and in all sorts of different types of of media and different areas of coverage. A, a lot of great nonprofit efforts uh, rise to the occasion and produce uh, amazing work. However, having said that, many um, of these nonprofit entities don't necessarily have the most secure uh, financial situation because they're heavily dependent on uh, foundations, uh, maybe a small number of them, uh, or they have to try to get members or individual donors. Uh, and as any nonprofit you know, executive will tell you, that's no easy task, uh, especially when there is so much competition, so many other pressing issues. And so um, I really believe that philanthropy is absolutely essential uh, for the future of journalism. I don't think it's the only uh, solution to the problems we've been having, but I have difficulty seeing how journalism is going to make its way going forward without uh, increased support from philanthropy covering a whole variety of different issues. And I think we have seen that. Uh, certainly, there's been an increase uh, in philanthropic support for journalism, including for water journalism. And, you know, our existence, uh, we owe that to uh, these grants from foundations and our, and our ability uh, to be able to, to deploy those resources to the field. But I think it's very difficult when you're in that nonprofit space of trying to continually raise money to keep your operations going. And if it's not foundations, you know, if you're focusing on members, small donors, that takes a lot of work to get those members to commit and to recommit. And so, um, you know, I think philanthropy is critical and I, I would love to see even more as far as uh, foundations and individual donors investing in media. Um, and I think it, it, it used to be, I think, uh, journalists were maybe a little more suspicious or had questions about it because journalists are always trying to maintain their independence, always concerned about people trying to influence their coverage. Uh, but it has become so widespread and so common, and there have been, you know, tons of of efforts to establish best practices in terms of transparency and independence that it's more the norm now, uh, where it used to be more uh, of a novelty. And so, um, you know, I think we have seen uh, some media outlets um, been able to do a lot of great work, but others haven't been able to make it. And uh, my hope is that uh, philanthropy and other sources can really step up and continue to support this work because I think it's a public good. It's important for democracy, uh, but there's essentially a market failure here. Uh, it's really hard to make business, um, you know, make money in the traditional business model the way that uh, media outlets used to by selling advertising. So. I haven't mentioned climate change yet. Um, it seems like uh, there is more discussion about climate change uh, with regard to water journalism. At least that's kind of my impression. I'm curious what you what you think about that. If you're if you're seeing uh, that coming into more of the coverage about water issues, uh, absolutely. I think. Um Climate change is really manifesting uh, itself through the hydrologic cycle and through extreme weather. And so uh, these terrible droughts, people are calling them mega droughts even now, 
um, and all of the ramifications, not only for the water supply, but for things like uh, the wildfires that we've been experiencing. Um, you know, I think climate change is, is front and center for every water issue, not only in the Western United States, but really around the world. And so, you know, as a change, uh, affecting our water cycle and affecting all of these different aspects of our life is so uh, overwhelming now. When I started, it was often fun. And so I think, you know, over time, over the last 20 years, I think the focus on climate change has only increased. And I think the the Colorado River Basin is a classic example of of the threat of climate change. And there's been all of this research done uh, showing how the flow in the river has been declining uh, and that the river is is essentially a lot different than what we thought it was back in the 20th century and when the compact was created in 1922. And so um, it's a pretty stark example of the problems that have been created by this uh, phenomenon of climate change and how it's reduced the amount of water in the river and in reservoirs, increased the evaporation rate. Uh, it's had all of these effects. So, you know, I think uh, that is a preeminent issue in terms of, of water journalism and what we're trying to tackle. And I don't see any signs that it's not going to be uh, for the foreseeable future. Well, speaking of the Colorado River, um, you know, there's, I think, uh, a lot of interest in water issues because, you know, there's, you know, a lot of people fighting over water, right? And it, they make, it's really interesting when people fight over things, <laughs> I think, you know, people get, uh, uh, that gets their attention. And so, you know, one thing that I'm interested in is that, um, you know, there's, a, I think there's a sense among the public that there's much more fighting uh, than cooperation when it comes to water issues. And as a water professional, you know, I've really seen something different, but uh, I'm curious, uh, you know, what you've experienced. Yeah, I think that's an interesting issue. And um, we do, I think, have to some extent a myth about Western water issues, that it's all necessarily about conflict um, and that, it, that really sort of obscures that there is a fair amount of cooperation and collaboration uh, going on in the field. You know, I have a couple of pet peeves. One is you often hear the term water wars. Um, and certainly there are places uh, throughout the world, throughout history, in which people have killed one another and uh, started wars and done terrible things because of water resources. Um, if you want to learn more, the Pacific Institute has a whole chronology of that. Um, here in the United States, I mean, we have not seen bloodbaths related to water. Um, that is not the norm. I think a lot of people like to sort of phrase it in those terms because it makes it seem more exciting. And certainly journalists are probably as guilty as anybody. Um, there, there's a saying in our business, if it bleeds, it leads. Uh, journalists very often tend to focus on conflict. Uh, it seems to be more engaging, or at least some people think, uh, to get people to buy newspapers and watch uh, television news. Um, and I do not want to deny that there is serious conflict and disagreements about how to manage our water resources. And to some extent, it, it can be seem at least like a, a zero-sum game that if I don't get that water and you get that water. And it's a scarce resource. There are a lot of demands upon it. Um, and 
you know, I don't want to deny that there are people who do fight over water, uh, but, you know, I don't think we are at the stage where we have water wars in this country, this sort of image of a Mad Max society with people at each other's throats and, and killing one another. And it just bothers me that that we use the term war because, you know, war is a serious thing with people getting blown up and raped and, and starved and things like that. That's not what, what's happening. We have a natural resource conflict here and it's important. People's lives to some extent are dependent uh, on it in that their livelihoods. Uh, if they use water, safe and clean drinking water is critical. But I think there's been a, a sort of exaggeration of the level of of conflict. And you know, if one state is suing one another, or if there's a, a dispute about a river, okay, that's conflict, but it's not a war. Um, and likewise, I mean, I have to read a, a lot of stories and pitches that begin with the you know famous quote from Mark Twain that uh, whiskey's for drinking and water's for fighting over in the American West. And you know, John Fleck, who's a, a former journalist now at the University of New Mexico and one of the foremost authorities on the Colorado River Basin, has an entire book on why that phrase is really misleading and a myth, and that, in fact, there is a lot of common understanding among water professionals about the facts, and you know they may have diverging interests, and they may not exactly see eye to eye, but uh, the idea that there's this sort of free-for-all and that people are um, you know, fighting to the death over water, it just, it just is not true, and you really can't find that, at least in this country, right now. So, um, you know, I think um, part of journalism's responsibility is to look for conflicts, to explain what people are arguing over, uh, to provide the public and policymakers with the whole variety of viewpoints that people have. Um, And so I don't think journalists should shy away from conflicts or where there are disagreements but I think we do have a lot of cases in which various different stakeholder groups have cooperated and there hasn't been uh, conflict or, or problems. And there are also success stories. If you look at things like the per capita water use of many Western cities is, has gone down quite a bit. And even though they're much bigger than they used to be, they're using less overall water. And so, um, you know, I do not want to d- dismi- diminish uh, the threats facing our water resources climate change being just one of them. We have invasive species. We have uh, the challenges of meeting a growing population and on and on. Uh, But I I think we're being uh, inaccurate, basically, by only framing water issues as these uh, bitter conflicts and fights. Aaron Wolf at Oregon State University is also uh, a source for, uh, you know, looking at what is actually uh, happened with water, whether conflicts have really been uh, initiated by fights over water or not. They, <clears throat> he has done a lot of research on that, which, which essentially indicates the same thing that, you know, it's, it's really not happening or not happened much. Um, and, uh, and I, whenever someone says that quote to me about Twain, I, I always say, are you sure he said that? Because there's a lot of controversy about whether he said that or not. But it, but I tell you, it's everywhere. Um, the uh, you know, I, I think that uh, the perception that you just described is is right, and uh, you know, it's hard to 
hard to overcome that because there really is, I think, so much cooperation going on. Uh, but it seems like, you know, conflicts have kind of this, this, uh, uh, series of fra- phases that they go through. And, you know, there's a lot of hyperbole in certain phases. And, you know, I think that's part of, you know, people engaging with each other. Um, maybe not, const- or not constructively, frankly, but, um, and so that's where I think a lot of that comes from. And, um, you know, it's, it's good to know and, and to be aware of the fact that, um, that there are so many people who are working through these issues and, uh, coming up with solutions. And, you know, you don't hear about it because, uh, people working together is not, I guess, as interesting a story in some ways. Yeah. And I think that's part of it is, uh, that journalists do tend to focus on conflict because they think, um, you know, it, it can be a more engaging story if people are, are arguing or fighting over something. Um, and certainly, you know, there are cases of that. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's a little bit harder, I think, sometimes to tell a story about, uh, successes and, uh, cases in which people are, are cooperating. And, you know, I think journalists naturally sort of gravitate towards conflict because if there's a difference of opinion, they think it's, you know, part of their responsibility to explain to the public why there are differing viewpoints. And and if it's a point of contention, it's probably an important thing to focus on. Uh, but I think, you know, it, it's... Uh, it's important to also recognize that uh, there is a fair amount of cooperation and collaborative efforts, and you know we shouldn't neglect that. Mitch, how can our listeners find out more about the Water Desk at the University of Colorado? Sure. Well, we have a website, and it's uh, waterdesk.org, and we uh, publish and republish content there. We also have resources for journalists and others who want to learn more about Western water issues. Uh, And we also broadcast our content on a variety of social media platforms, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook. And we recently started our own podcast called Water Buffs, uh, in which we interview experts uh, about these issues. And so you can find that uh, wherever you uh, get your podcasts. Great. Thanks. Mitch, I've enjoyed it. Thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been great. This has been Talkless Water. My guest today was Mitch Tobin, the director of the Water Desk at the University of Colorado in Boulder. My name is Todd Botler, your host for Talkless Water. Let's talk water again soon.